This week on Trek Mary Kill. Time, Mannheim, fencing. On the next episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. Two to beam directly up to sickbay. A mission to save a dying scientist uncovers a deadly time experiment. Captain, it must be stopped. And reunites the captain with his first love. We need your help. The situation is not good. Now, they must save the galaxy from this crippling time distortion. Only one of us is in the correct time continuum. On Star Trek, The Next Generation. Trek, Mary, kill. Hi, I'm Brian. Hi, I'm Kristen. Welcome to Trek, Mary, kill, a Star Trek podcast where we dissect and analyze individual episodes across all the different series to determine which ones are worth your valuable time. This week, another one of our wildcard episodes will always have Paris from the first season of Star Trek The Next Generation. It's episode 24 of season one. It debuted in syndication May 2nd, 1988. So we're a bit past the 35th anniversary, written by Deborah Dean Davis and Hannah Louise Shearer, directed by Robert Becker. Memory Alpha's description... Captain Picard encounters a woman from his past after her scientist husband's experiments begin to unravel the fabric of time. This is a woman he stood up. That asshole. Yeah. In today's parlance, we'd call it ghosting. He ghosted her on a very important he day. <laughs> ghosted the f*** out of her. <laughs> the special guest, the woman, Janice, the, one of the most 80s names that exists that I can think of Janice uh-huh. Mannheim played by Michelle Phillips, who, when I saw her, when, when we did the drawing for the episodes, I was like, Oh, she's like a soap actress, right? No, obviously not. <laughs> no. Famous band from the sixties, the mamas and the papas. But when I rewatched yeah. this episode, I was like, Oh, I recognize her from knots landing. And sure enough. Mm. So that that's... is, that is a soap opera, but that's a <laughs> prime time. soap. I'm less familiar with those. I see. Do you remember the first time you saw this episode? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I vaguely remember it. And I remember as a child seeing it and then turning, turning the channel, not caring. Like I saw it <laughs> at the end. I saw it from like when data is doing the ending where he's dumping the antimatter in the time hole. Uh, and then, and then Picard in the holodeck showing Janice, the recreation and all that. And I don't know that I was totally clear on what the holodeck was still, maybe. So I was a little like, what's going on here? Are they in Paris? So is this whole episode in Paris? Uh, I don't care. Like, that was my thought process. <laughs> so, the title is taken from Casablanca, obviously. And it's one of those cultural touchstones that I think really belongs to. I think it was actually just been left behind there last century. Mm-hmm. It's something that feels very familiar to me only because it was something that my grandparents talked about or cer- certain adults that were cultured, you know, Casablanca being one of the greatest films ever, Paris being the spot for honeymoons, which is still the case today. But like all this is of a, of a you know, Casablanca influencing every level of like TV writing, film writing mm-hmm. for a good chunk of last century especially like in the 60s and, you know, 50s, 60s and 70s, um, you know, because they didn't have home videos, so they thought they could get away with it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is. Unfortunately, it is the film that kind of started all every screenwriting cliche, um, but it's not 
not because it's badly written at all. It's just, it was so good. Everyone just had to sort of steal from it. Yeah. And I mean, you let's, are, <laughs> if you're too young to have seen Casablanca, <laughs> we'll always have Paris as something that the main character, Rick played by um, Humphrey Bogart says to Ilsa, who is played by Ingrid Bergman. And it is referencing their time they had together in Paris during the first days of the Nazi occupation. So, <laughs> but it was lovely for them. And uh, yes. yeah. yeah, they had a good time. Uh, important mm-hmm. to note that Rick is an asshole. And so yeah. making Jean-Luc Picard, the Rick character in the story means he is the asshole, which being the first mm-hmm. season of Star Trek, the next generation tracks perfectly. It's totally fine. <laughs> I have no and, issue. And, um, <laughs> but in, in the, movie Casablanca it's Ilsa who stands up Rick at the train station also Ilsa is like a fully fleshed out person human being and Janice sucks or like it's a very poorly underwritten character (laughs) it's a it's a strange character let's just put it that way like a person who has just seen everyone she knows die and her husband's dying but she's like oh and like just flirting with the captain. And has oh, absolutely shit. no, yeah, has absolutely no utility. So while the men are doing their important experiments, she doesn't, she she doesn't know room. anything. She doesn't know, has no knowledge of the experiments, <laughs> what theories are going on. And I have to tell you, I had to watch this episode twice, cause twice while watching. I was like, what the fuck are they talking about? What is going on? Like what theory, what, what? How are they going to fix this? Like, I I didn't get it. And I had to watch it twice and I still am like hazy. So there's like some specifics I want to get into in just a second. But just to close the book here, nobody in this podcast is trashing Casablanca. (laughs) It is one of the greatest movies of all time. It is one of the Mm -hmm. greatest screenplays ever written. Uh, The performances are incredible. If you are like, so this was my larger point cultural touchstones, especially ones that belong to last century, Casablanca and the Beatles, two things I can remember being shoved down my throat to the point that it really took me until I'm not exaggerating the end of last century and maybe even the beginning of this century before I actually decided that I was, I should just watch or listen to them and accept them. And obviously because it's just like so you had like two generations. You're like World War Two people ramming Casablanca, then the boomers. And then it's just like all that stuff. And it's like, this is it. These are the only two things. That's all that matters. It's kind of annoying. Uh, Mamas and the Papas, all that stuff. Like the all those the their two main hits played ad nauseum. I actually think um, mm. I actually prefer Monday Monday. That was their song, right? <laughs> I yeah, that? I don't know. No, anyway, uh, but yeah, it it's just like, like it sounds uh, like maybe it could. I don't know. We're we're from California, right? So both of us. So yes, yes. we heard that song all the time. So there, everything that this episode was based on were based on things that, as a child, annoyed me. So, <laughs> <laughs> soap operas, and it's very soap operatic. The writing. Let's not. Let's yeah. be very clear here. The writing is at the level of, of, of a sharp soap opera in this episode. It's an attempt to show a different side of Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard to have this love interest come in. Very old TV trope. You know, the galaxy is enormous. Space is vast. And yet this one mm-hmm. distress call 
It's the it's the one that got away. Of all the gin <laughs> joints in all the world, Brian. Of all the planetoids in sensor range. Yeah. <laughs> she walks into mine. Uh, so have you ever had like a ships in the night, bad timing, ghosting someone where it seemed like it might have been important and <laughs> kind of situation uh i've never ghosted anyone i've i don't i haven't had like a ships in the night type of relationship as some people may know i didn't actually like date anyone till before i met my husband so um i didn't really date at all so no um but i did have like times when someone sort of like was like confessing their feelings but it was like like the it, it was too late. Like, not because one of us was in another relationship. It's like, well, I'm going off to college today or something or, or something like that. Or like, I'm moving. Like, what do you... I'm shipping out to Starfleet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So <laughs> I was just like, uh, okay, I don't know what to do with that information. But um wish you would said something so- sooner. But um not... I've never stood any... I've never left anyone at a Paris cafe. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Well, because Picard's from Paris, it's like down the street, you know, probably it's like it's the yeah. neighborhood Cafe des Artistes. Uh, yeah, I've had ships in the night, bad timing, all that. I've been ghosted. I'm not sure if I have ghosted. I can't remember, which probably means I have. <laughs> but I mean, I'm sure things. I've ghosted like the back in the days of like AOL instant messenger. You just like sort of stop talking to somebody. But we didn't really call it ghosting. We're just like, oh, we're all just going to move on. And I'm asking all this because the episode deals with dimensions, different dimensions, but also time looping. And so this idea, there is kind of a a thematic thrust of the episode. But now let's just get into some specifics here. This episode was hobbled by, well, it being a season one Next Generation episode mainly. Mm -hmm. But secondarily... Uh, the writer's strike of 1988 apparently affected the ending of this one. And I dare say it probably impacted their ability to do any revisions on it because there's a lot of like generic language and lack of specifics and maybe that extra draft to tie together the science jeopardy and the emotional core. Um, so what's happening is Paul Mannheim, Dr. Paul Mannheim uh, has some radical theories about time and space and how our dimensions are merely defined by time. And that if you start playing around with time, you can start mixing dimensions. And he's so confident about his experiments. uh, He, it basically turns into an Oppenheimer situation and incredible that this is down the second episode of our show where we're talking about Oppenheimer, but he, he gets a band of scientists together and they go find a planet that fits all the needs that they think they're going to need for their experiments of of uh, creating an opening to another dimension. It's going to require a binary star and a planetoid with an unspecified type of energy at its core. So this is, I was just reading about this the other day. There's like a complaint from some Star Trek fans or a note that, you know, Star Trek got into the big, big into techno babble, which, uh, you know, and it explained everything with techno babble, this type of radiation, this time of science and science junk. And the original series, they really kind of tried to shy away from that because it wasn't about that. And here you have something in the middle where kind of the idea needs to be clear about what's happening, but they're stuck Mm -hmm. in the Roddenberry mode of like, let's not be specific. So all we get is like, there's a lot of energy and great quantities of energy, 
But to do what? To what end? What's the just dimension stuff about? So yeah. you've got this Mannheim effect where time is burping. It's described as burping, where they're repeating certain moments, which isn't all that exciting when it comes down to it. It's kind of interesting and it's disorienting. But a couple of moments, Picard is fencing at the beginning, which has no tie to the rest of the episode. You know, the fencing doesn't come back in any meaningful way. It's just a thing he's doing. Um, and he re- replays a move with his sparring partner, fencing partner, the, the crew and Picard and Riker and Data experience it too. But basically, Mannheim's experiments has caused a, a inter, like an entanglement with this other dimension. And it's causing time to loop back in it, on itself. And it's affecting thousands of light years potentially. So it's a big problem, especially if the bar- yeah. barriers between dimensions break down. In October, we're going to have on a pair of guests, Sharice and Andrea from the TNG podcast, where they've been recapping all of Star Trek The Next Generation. And I had listened to their episode on this one, and I'm putting it out in here now, because actually have, which speaks to my point about how maybe this script need, needed another draft. One of the ideas they had was like, I thought this episode was building towards the time looping so that Picard and Janice have to relive that moment in a cafe where he stands mm-hmm. her up. And I'm like, well, yeah, that would have made sense. That would have made the episode yeah, been interesting. <laughs> yeah. So we don't get that. We don't. Other notes about this episode. It immediately, it's the episode right after Tasha Yar's death. Mm. Pour, pouring out for our, yeah. our girl Tasha Yar. <laughs> uh, Data uses a contraction uh, in the time <laughs> fix sequence. There's three of him and they're trying to figure out which data is actually in the proper timeline to complete the procedure. And the one in the middle says, it's me. This is not a note from memory alpha. Some of those other notes were, but the guy who plays Dr. Mannheim, who looks like a, a, a late thirties, early forties guy that they aged up, or he's just kind of a, an odd looking dude. I don't know. No offense. Sorry. Uh, but the actor's name is Rod Loomis uh, featured in many soap operas over the years. But he also played Dr. Sigmund Freud in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. He was Freud uh-huh. in that. That's So hold that thought in mind, because that's important. This episode features two actors who played historical figures in time travel stories. So Rod Loomis, Dr. Mannheim, played Freud in Bill and Ted's. And then the, the dude Picard is fencing against. This actor's name is Dan Kern, playing Lieutenant Dean, the fencing partner. Uh, five or six years before this episode came out, he appeared in a TV show that lasted one season called Voyagers. And the description of that show, Kristen, is a man and a boy traveling through time fix historical errors. Unclear if they're related. Just a man and a boy. Two (laughs) random, uh, one guy and completely unrelated boy. Yes. Traveling through time, yes. Traveling through time. But Dan Kern played Isaac Newton in one of those episodes. So two oh, time he, oh, he wasn't even the man traveling. He wasn't even no, a star. No, he was okay. a guest actor. Yeah. <laughs> also, also, the sparring, again, Dan Kern played Isaac Newton, the sparring partner. But also, in the TV show Voyagers. But also, Dan Kern would appear later in Star Trek Voyager as an alien. So I need to get that out of my brain. They're, they're all connected in ways that are completely meaningless. But there we go. Shall we get into the grades? <laughs> Yeah. All right. Great scenes. <laughs> okay. So I guess the fencing, I don't know, but 
You don't have uh, to be kind to these things. <laughs> okay, so I think for me, when Jean-Luc Picard first goes into the holodeck to the Paris Cafe. That's my first woman... great scene. Yeah. Okay, so there's a woman sitting there and she's wearing this like two-piece outfit. It's like a pink <sighs> top and like... Yes. And, and the skirt or whatever. <laughs> I am going to say, I, could, I think I could pull this outfit off, and my husband agrees, and I'm upset I don't own it. Uh, I'm not ashamed to admit that I rewatched that scene many times. <laughs> Her name is Gabrielle. Like, the, that's the character's name. The actress's name is yeah, yeah. Isabelle Brousseau. She's a French Canadian from Montreal. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, like. Um, quite a looker. How, do you, how do you call that? Those sleeves. Like. Um, I don't know. I it's just like say an off-the-shoulder sleeve, and then it's yeah. like ruffled. So, yeah, I was like, "No, this is great. I wish I had this outfit right now." Other than other than it like being made out of cheap polyester, um, I like out of like cotton or something. But yeah, I will say the uh, HD does absolutely no favors to the terrible material they use to make the costumes on the show in oh season god. one. Oh so my bad. god. <laughs> I don't know what Mannheim's oh, wearing, I, I, but I they put Michelle other, Phillips yeah, in. Got, yeah. Oh, I got other notes about the costumes. That's coming later, but... Um, Do you have yeah, more so from I that like scene that, that you want to talk about? Also, I don't remember that. I've been to Paris only one time, but I didn't remember that many pigeons in the restaurant. <laughs> Those could have just been stage pig- pigeons. They couldn't clear in time. <laughs> like, so like, uh, let's, just, let's just go with it. Where's... So, Where's the hawk? Where's the falconer to get these pigeons out of here? Um, yeah, everyone knows that stage at Paramount, haunted with, by pigeons. But no, there's yeah. uh, that scene is it comes after the first time hiccup in the fencing and and uh, they're on their way and and they hear about Mannheim and, and Picard realizes, oh, I because he knows that Janice is with this doctor. And he goes to the holodeck to relive the situation. Is this after Counselor Troy comes to him on the bridge and says, can I talk to you? Cause I can sense that you're anxious, even though Patrick Stewart prior to that. So they, they get the whole distress call and they're rushing to like figure Picard knows that the time hiccup in Mannheim is all connected. And if there's Mannheim, then there's Janice and uh, Counselor Troy can tell he's agitated. Although, for the audience's sake, they have Patrick Stewart makes the decision to whip this towel multiple times oh, while so he's talking about Mannheim. Yeah, it's it's very yeah. odd. But and then Troy is really reacting very big to it. This is on the bridge. This is all happening. And but obviously yeah. she's like, "You're anxious." Is still in his fencing. Yeah. It's still in his fencing outfit with his sweat sweaty towel, and he starts whipping it around. Yeah, so he gets himself cleaned up and in uniform, and he's got a little time before they arrive to this planetoid Vandor. And so he stops in the holodeck. And the, but the scene is great because it's like it's it's um, it's kind of ironically great. I don't know that it's dramatically great, but he goes in effectively to what we learn is relive some element of that moment where he stood up Janice before he shipped up back off to Starfleet. And for mm-hmm. some reason, the holodeck, because of the specific details he gave about this Cafe des Artistes in, in Paris that overlooking the Eiffel Tower, it somehow determined that there must have been a woman there who was stood up. <laughs> and so it gives Picard the opportunity to kind of talk through this stand in for Janice, this beautiful French Canadian woman we just discussed. Um, and I think it's just like the the terrible synth music in the hallway 
that that Ron Jones yeah, story. Like, no offense. Like, oh and then it leads into and then, terrible like, the recording. Weirdo, the weird guy playing the weird uh, bong the gl- uh, instrument. Yeah, he's stroking off. He's stroking <laughs> off a bong that's jizzing out accordion music. It's really bizarre. So <laughs> and then there's like somebody on a zoom call for no reason like why would yes. you go to a restaurant to stand right. up talking to somebody it was so weird and so you know i, I guess in gene ronberry's 21st 24th century earth accordions have been replaced by uh bong accordions they need to stroke off but yeah i scene... did like i liked that they had still had the old-timey um espresso machine giant yes. espresso machine right from, and the silver point, 500 the... years ago Yes, and the metal '80s bookshelf that got repurposed as like a, I don't know, a, sh- a bookshelf again. But it just mm-hmm. the the set design is wacky. The lighting, it's all very cheap looking, and it's. I think that was a part as a kid I noticed, and like this looks terrible. And it's supposed to be in like it's not they a found stage. A, found a reasonable um, Paris backdrop. They must have just already had one on on the lot somewhere. I don't know. That's a good point. Because like, I mean, it's not a great drop. Yeah, but it's not a great drop. But it it kind of works because Patrick Stewart is playing it so straight, so seriously. Like you can tell he's trying to exercise a demon here, and the the very attractive woman he's speaking to is also giving a pretty solid performance back to him, and they're talking about something very melodramatic. It's not like great insight into Picard necessarily, but it's kind of like a nice earnest scene. I think that's where Star Trek actually does kind of work is when the human beings are being incredibly earnest and everything around them is f***ing ridiculous. Like if you put it on mute and just look at it, what's going on here? But everyone's really believing the moment they're in. Uh, And in the first season of The Next Generation especially, you don't get a lot of moments where people are behaving even remotely like a real person now or in the future uh-huh. so that was nice yeah i had that scene it was a good scene and i want to uh, mm. know yeah who's the idiot who's ghosting gabrielle <laughs> apparently she's been a, the, the, the actor the actor's been a personal trainer since 1998 working with such stars as pierce brosnan my goodness hey i definitely should have hired her when i was using a personal trainer <laughs> Maybe All she's right. still available. <laughs> uh, the next great scene I have is pretty soon after they get to the planet and they, um, I think they've actually already rescued Mannheim, beamed him up. There was an accident that killed everyone except for he and, and Janice. And, and they get up to the ship and he's being taken care of. Picard, Riker, and Data have left this first meeting with Janice, getting an idea of what's going on with Mannheim. He's freaking out in the bio bed because he's like, I'm trapped between dimensions, which is a cool he idea that they totally blow. Having so. <laughs> a full on acid freak out. Yes, that's right. That is what's that happening. Is that, that's how it's being okay. acted anyway. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that is exactly. And I'm sure Michelle Phillips has seen many of those in yeah. her life. He probably went to her for some advice yeah. on acting. What do you, what do you think about this one? She's treating him just like, oh, honey, you're going to be fine. No, yeah, I'm yeah. not. Yeah, drink some milk. It'll be fine. <laughs> but th- that those are not good scenes. The great, I think the next great scene is when they're it's walking so down the hall. Ho- the like yes. Distract. 
Uh, I will say compared to what's what had come previously in season one, surprisingly not embarrassing to watch. Like you could get through it. And you're not embarrassed for everyone involved, but you're close. But it's still, anyway, Picard, Riker and Data are walking down the corridor um, and they get into a turbo lift and they're talking about, you know, the effects that the, the this is far reaching. Then the turbo lift stop and stops and the door opens up and there's Picard, Riker and Data talking about what's going on, about to get in literally moments before repeating back on itself. I liked it. It's called a uh, it was called a burp in time. It was described as a burp by uh, a, another ship that had been affected by this. And I don't know if you caught this, but Data was starting to go. That's not actually correct. Yeah, he's going to make a fart joke, wasn't he? Yep. Yes, he was. That's exactly what was about to happen. <laughs> so they encounter. So basically, this is they encounter another time fart, and I I thought it was creepy. I liked it, or it was kind of creepy. It wasn't like great, great. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, that's that's not bad. It's pretty solid. Next scene I have. I only have two more great scenes after this, but I actually do think this is a pretty great scene. It's after uh, Picard, Riker, Data, and more for talking, and then Janice just comes in. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I was told I could find you here. And Picard's like, no, we were done. You know, go ahead. And they leave and she comes in and they have a conversation. Basically, she just asks, asks him straight out. Hey, why didn't you show up that day at the cafe? Um, I thought and it was great. I, I did like that scene because she's like, just please, like, lie to me, like, make up some lie. Because right, cause he's an asshole. Truth. He's like, oh, I was afraid. Yeah. <laughs> Like emergency appendectomy or yeah, like I forget this. Oh, like, oh, it was raining and he couldn't catch a cab or something. And he's like, no, I was just afraid. Yeah. And I got to say, she's taking this much better than I would, because if I looked like how Michelle Phillips looked when she was in her 20s and I got stood up by Jean-Luc Picard and then got stuck with this acid freak out doctor living alone with just a bunch of nerds on a planet, I would and die i'd be so upset <laughs> i'd be just inconsolable you know michelle phillips i don't have any desire to like evaluate her as an actor or anything she's fine to good in this scene and patrick stewart is like patrick stewart levels and as melodramatic soap operatic as, as the writing kind of is i'm actually you know what it's it's tr- it's aping casablanca in this scene um it all works, and I wasn't even that distracted by both of them checking their marks multiple times. <laughs> Which that must have been a weird uh, set because Brent Spiner was doing it too, and I was like, there must have just been something about the observation lounge in season one, or the way they were having to like navigate those chairs against uh-huh. so close to the wall. Because it's like I, I don't know if you noticed, but like the proportions are all different, like sick bay. The actual where the bed is is much smaller and Crusher's office is much bigger than it yeah. than it is in later seasons. They shifted that. And then the observation lounge, they're like the table's very close to the wall. There's like no space yeah. around there. So they're all like trying to navigate it. I don't know. Um, but it is funny because he just says, oh, I was afraid. And she's like, you're not even going to lie to me. And then Picard says, oh, I got. And then his performance is like, I got the days confused. That was Tuesday when it was Wednesday. And then she's like, that's better. And then she says, oh, she's playing it off like, oh, it was raining. You couldn't find a cab. I love the turn. That's what I was getting at when she goes, it was raining and I waited for you all day. (laughs) Then it gets a little weird. Then I went to Starfleet and looked for you. But I like the turn because you go with it and you realize that this is a hurt person. And and he plays on that very, very well. Mm -hmm. Uh, The 
the final thought on that scene is though, he he lies right to her face. He goes, for she goes for a long time. Not a day went by when I didn't look up into the sky and wonder. And he looks at her and he says, each time that I return to Earth, my thoughts were filled with you. Liar! Liar! <laughs> I did not believe him when he yeah, said I that. <laughs> um, I also have down that I like that Beverly's a little bit jealous or at least like kind of annoyed. Yeah, all I think it's like I got this dying acid freak out <laughs> guy and you guys are talking about some rendezvous in Paris. Okay, I'm the only one doing a job here. Okay. <laughs> well, it's she definitely was jealous, but it also seemed like Gates McFadden was annoyed that she had to be playing her as jealous. Yeah. That's what it felt like. <laughs> it's just like because even Patrick Stewart or Picard's like, Beverly, it's not that big a deal. She was like, yeah, I know it's not. I don't care. I just this guy's dying. So, yeah. <laughs> and I don't know what's, what's going on here. <laughs> and then the last great scene that I have is is the scene where Data uh, seals the butthole. So there's no more time. Yeah, for I like the obstacle course. He has to go through the yes. like last minute <laughs> constructed uh, obstacle course. One of the them is just like um, fluorescent tubes lighting right. tubes a couple of phasers yes to like... break those it's going to be pretty bad so you got to be careful yeah. um and then he's like rolling around ducking laser beams yeah remember that show american gladiators that was very popular yes. at this time time it was just a little bit of a american gladiators course he had to get through not not bad and then he has the and then the, i think the time distortion effect the little energy core thing spiking up oh that was cool that looked neat and then he has to dump the antimatter in and, and it all spits up. So you get your three datas. Yep, exactly. One of one of them that in the dimension that uses contractions. Um, <laughs> but surprisingly for to me, for pre like just barely across the line of great scenes in this one. Uh, best trek tropes. I only have one. I've if you have other ones, that'll be great. Mm -hmm. But the one that stood out to me the most was a TNG trope. Let data do it. It's really dangerous <laughs> to send people down there. Let's just send data down. And yeah, data even says, I'm a machine. I'm expendable. Data. Yeah. <laughs> um, I did put uh, in the cold open, they mentioned shore leave. And so I was very excited. But then, you know, we don't get shore leave, the mention of shore leave again till the very end. Can um, I, I can I plus that a little bit? Because sure. we do this a lot in Strange New Worlds now. But I think the trope, the full Star Trek trope should be some much needed shore leave. Yeah. <laughs> it's always it's always presented as that. It's like we're not just it's, on it's vacation. Like, it's much needed. We you know, we don't really need this shore leave, but we're doing it anyway. I have the time and I'm using it. What's the problem? No, it's much needed. <laughs> I didn't feel like going in today. That's right. Shore leave, baby. I got here when I could. <laughs> like, unfortunately I've unfortunately said that at work a couple times but what i got here when i could yeah. <laughs> did you ever watch the tv show uh not to like my Sh manager just like oh. some, like tears like, what i got here people counting on you yeah, <laughs> so, yeah did you ever watch that tv show strangers with candy yeah for some reason Long it just reminded ago. me of the line well we <laughs> came as soon as we felt like it <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh what what other ones did you have oh um Using the holodeck to get through some personal shit. Oh, yeah, that's, that's a good Sort-through one. Through yeah. it. Um, yeah, that. We had a countdown at the end with data dropping the antimatter 
thing into yep. the into the butt crack or butthole or whatever we're calling mm-hmm. it. Um, that's it. <laughs> uh, worst Trek tropes. Uh, same situation. Only one really stood out to me, and I'm now I'm not so sure that this actually counts. But men being wimps when it comes to their true feelings towards women. Yeah. Maybe I'm like having a weird, not PTSD, but weird echo of like strange new worlds being very fresh in my mind. But just this idea that when confronted with the woman they have feelings for or had feelings for Starfleet captains, like turn into little boys or like, you know, writers. And it's kind of <laughs> annoying. Like we don't really get that with Kirk. I kind of is there in Star Trek two, I guess, but he and Carol have like a different relationship. I don't know. It's like, except for Kirk, all the men in Star Trek are really weird about, when they actually care about a woman. Is that saying something about when men care about, really care about women? I don't know. Maybe, I, I guess. Jesus, I hope not. <laughs> um, I put first season counselor Troy being borderline useless. Oh, that's great. Um, Fantastic. Oh, I, I mean, it. a later season Troy would be able to have sussed some things out, I think. She probably would have recommended the holodeck and Picard would have said, this is stupid. And she's like, this is literally yeah. what it's here for. <laughs> uh, and like, oh. yeah, like, just I think that, yeah, she's. Uh, yeah, she's useless in this. You're the perfect person to ask this since you were right on. You're right on wigs. And I think I've admitted this before. I am so stupid when it comes to spotting wigs. I did not know she was wearing a wig. Council oh, well, I didn't really know she was wearing a wig until I really thought about it. But like. If she's not wearing a wig, though, I mean, she had, like, extensions at the very least. Well, in, in The Child, when her hair's long, like, all that curly length, that's a wig. But then mm-hmm. even in this one, I'm like, is the wig just the whole bun thing scooped over her head? Or some of that are uh, real yeah. hair mixed with the wig? It looked uh-huh. like the lines all looked like it was just one helmet wig that she yeah, was Yeah, it's wearing. probably just one wig. It's, it's a really difficult to do the... Um, blending of regular hair and wig on something like this. Like you're just going to put the wig on and go. But I couldn't unsee it once I suspected it was there. I'm like, yeah, that's a helmet. Weird. Oh, I had some more worse Trek tropes. Keep going. I thought that Michelle Phillips did do a little bit of the dynasty acting, um, like the primetime soap opera guest star acting, but that's kind of just her I think that was kind of her bread and butter at the time. So I can't really falter that bad, but. But are you putting that in Trek trope or of its time? That's a clear of its time. I think I put it on the wrong spot. Sorry. I put it under (laughs) Trek tropes, but um, it should have been under most of its time. Um, So I did put that Dr. Mannheim, he's dying, but he kind of looks like a young SNL character in makeup. Yes. He He looks like it's. Bill Hader when he's like in his twenties or something. <laughs> they have like a, the fake gray um, eyebrows on him and everything. But like he doesn't have like any wrinkles. Yeah, like Daryl Hammond when he plays Sean Connery back in the Celebrity yeah. Jeopardy thing. Yeah, it's. <laughs> and the that home... is a that is a Star Trek trope. They're always like anyone who's supposed to be looking older. It kind of looks like it... that makeup. <laughs> Most of its time quality. So we have the sparkly fencing costumes made of the cheap uh, polyester. And we had Michelle uh, Phillips costume. Oh, my God. 
that just looked like wallpaper. Okay, <laughs> so she's wearing like the the Jaipur's pants. It had cutouts at the side. She's not wearing a bra, and she's wearing boots as well. Like the the puffy hammer pants are tucked into the boots. Yeah, and she I guess looked like she like, was in V. Yeah, <laughs> Michelle Phillips, you still look great at forty four. How about we put you in this fucking wild ass outfit, no bra, just nipples wilding? And she was like, We yeah. want to. We want to dress you like one of the children from the Star Wars holiday special. So. <laughs> and that also is like like a polyester what's the, or like a lycra at the very like, I mean, yes, a synthetic fabric, but it's like a lycra, like a shiny lycra type fabric that has yeah. like the print of like a very bad 80s couch. If anyone is younger and wondering what the 80s were like, this episode is really great insight into here. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> it's it's all very 80s. Um, I have the treatment of women in this one. Uh, mm. Let's. I kind of already touched on this. We're, we don't know anything about Janice Mannheim except her relationship to men. You know, she's desperate for Jean-Luc. He stands her up. Uh, and then she's just a literally a doll in, in Dr. Mannheim's house. All right, we're going to go work now. Now you go back in your dollhouse where it's safe. <laughs> and, and then yeah. on top of that, uh, she's just okay with going back with him at the end. I think the ending is like a complete, oh, he's like, it'll be different this time. And, and we, we can't let all the people who died, we can't let their deaths be in vain. We have to continue this very dangerous work that I acknowledged was very dangerous, but you have to come back with me and be on this planetoid alone. She's like, okay. It's totally fine. But on top of that, like, girl, what are you thinking? Oh my God. So, and it's, it kind of is, um, what really jumped out at me about all that was Picard has a throwaway line when he, when Riker asks him, do you know about Dr. Mannheim? And he goes, well, he taught at the university in Paris. So was she his student? Yeah, had to be right. I mean, that seemed, that's the implication was that Janice yeah. and slept with her professor, which means she has some understanding. go on a lot. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It's It would be, especially if he's like a young guy pretending to be old. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Maybe that's what's going on. He's <laughs> pretending to be old. So people respect him more. Um, but I, it's also like, so does that mean, I mean, he wasn't just like teaching undergrad core classes. Right. As like part of the curriculum requirement, maybe, the teaching requirement. <laughs> they have TAs for that. And then 24th yeah. century, that's like AI shit. That's like mm-hmm. <laughs> come to my office hours. Beam in. Well, it's only supposed to be 15 <laughs> years prior. And Michelle Phillips was 44 when this was filmed. So like maybe she was a grad student or something. But she wasn't a professor either. You know, what I mean, like she has there's yeah. nothing and we're just left to guess. Well, we don't, yeah, we don't know. Yeah. We have no idea. Yeah, we don't know anything about her. And then the other part is just like beyond that, it's like women as caretaker to men. That's what she's doing, like guiding him through his trip. Again, a cool <laughs> idea. Him caught between dimensions. It's too bad they didn't like have any money or creativity to envision any of that. That would have been mm-hmm. awesome. And the new shows would not have dropped that opportunity and it would have been it would look cool. But the other part is like he's when he's freaking out. Do you remember? Do you remember that part where Doctor Crusher is like scanning him? She can't figure out what's wrong, and then she like caresses him to like soothe him. I was like, "What? That's so weird." My doctor did that to me. I'd be very weirded out. But anyway, just calm down. Yeah, exactly. Just the way women uh, treat 
men or react to men in this episode. Very strange. Very of its time, too, though. Any more for you or any for you? Um, well, the music cues are oh. just so <laughs> weird. Like, wow. <laughs> just, I can't even just, I mean, it's all the Space Mountain music and, you know, it's. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> now it's time for the line must be drawn yeah great lines i really only put down one because i thought picard's line each time that i return to earth my thoughts are filled with you i just thought that was such a bullshit line that i just that can't be great he's lying to her uh so i had a riker reacting to the Mannheim effect the time fart this is this is where we started if we are us i just like that line so <laughs> that's any for you um just when they're doing the fencing, when the lieutenant says, what te- technique was that, Captain? And he says, the technique of a desperate man. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> That's it. I, could, I literally, I tried. I watched it twice. Couldn't find anything else. I was like, oh, yes, perfect. I did think that their dialogue as melodramatic or Casablanca ripoff E as it is in the observation lounge between the two of them. You know, you're not even going to lie to me. And then he mm-hmm. says, oh, I went to the wrong cafe. And then she's like, oh, it was raining. I, still, I thought that was all right. Like, great lines? Eh, I don't know. It was more performance. Uh, and also knowing it's intentionally a derivative of something that's actually great. I, I give it no credit. So there we go. Do you, do you also think, so like, the end, the scene where they go, where he Picard brings her back to the cafe, like, is that, like, I feel like there's no real payoff there. She's just like, None. oh, here it is. Anyway. And, I mean, then. that scene is more memorable because she is amazed by the holodeck and doesn't understand it. And that's really kind of more what the scene is about than anything else. And that could just be like, okay, we've let the captain be vulnerable now, but now we have to show that he's back in control here. Um, Yeah. It's a, it's a nothing scene. It pays off nothing. Yeah. So I feel like the alternative, Oh, having them actually have having to relive the real thing would have been much more interesting. Now, one of the other, yeah, them reliving it would have been better. But also there was another note that I didn't mention, but the the writers actually wanted Picard and Janice to hook up. Well, and I guess oh, that got... Yeah, definitely not happening because, as we all know, Picard isn't yeah. going to steal the deal. <laughs> right. But I guess even Patrick Stewart, all the producers, they were firmly against that. I guess they saw themselves, you know, like, oh, cheating. Picard wouldn't do that. And I guess I could, I could see that. But also it's like a weird... I thought this was Gene Roddenberry's future where it's all like free love and... All that stuff, so Uh-oh. who cares? But it, yeah, anyway. Um, and your girl Gabrielle wasn't even in the holodeck this time, so my girl, I, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's I never. I'm I was you like her. She has uh, lightish hair. Great call. This is how this is good friendship between <laughs> us, Kristen. Uh, addressing that I am very uh, pro brunette. Uh, I didn't say anti blonde, <laughs> just pro brunette. But she, mm-hmm. she just, I, a credit to her for how she appears. <laughs> she has <laughs> a certain je ne sais quoi. Yes. Uh, the Anton Caridian Award for Best Performance. I'm going to give it to Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. Uh, in, fair, in fairness, the material is, has at least enough moments of being grounded that it, mm-hmm. it makes it easier for him to do that. Sometimes yeah. there were parts of this episode that were so generic, the science stuff. It's just like it took me back to earlier in the first season. I'm like, how did how did anyone survive this show? How did this show last? Yeah, the science <laughs> stuff in this one was so 
over my head, but didn't make any sense. Like, I was like, oh, am I just dumb? But no, it just didn't make any sense. There was just nothing to grab onto the stakes. It was all fuzzy. Like, it was unclear what the stakes were, what anything meant. Um, And I like that the show gets more interesting and clear about that stuff later on. Um, The Shatner. I'm giving it to Dr. Paul Mannheim, yeah. Rod Loomis. Yeah, he, he, uh, absolutely. There's no other person who could go like, he, They were like, listen, we had this whole sequence of you. By a country lost. mile. Okay. <laughs> they probably were like, we had this whole sequence of you tripping out storyboarded, but we couldn't afford it. So you've got to like imagine that you're doing that and then perform as though we were shooting it. And that's what he did. I want to give an honorable mention, though, also to Patrick Stewart as Jean-Luc Picard. Oh, no. Because I think there are just moments where he's having to go for it. And, like, they, the way they write him, I don't know if the towel slap counts as that, but it that we, you cited it, um, that it was distracting. It was a weird choice. Uh, the fact that he doesn't identify himself immediately when they get to the planet, because he doesn't, you know, that's part of what I was saying before about the bad Trek trope. Like, he's so nervous about seeing this woman. They won't even identify himself on yeah. the comms when they <sighs> arrive to save them. It's bizarre. Um, and so there are just, like, a couple of moments where Patrick Stewart has to play Picard as suave, but then he also has to play him as nervous. And I don't think it's a matter of him not being Humphrey Bogart. I think it's just a matter of the writing letting him down because it's not Casablanca. But like uh-huh. when Rick is flummoxed, he's still vaguely Rick, right? And here yeah. when he's Picard, it's like, uh, it's it's bizarre. But let's go back to Dr. Loomis. Wow. That guy. Dr. He... Dr. Mannheim. Sorry. Dr. Mannheim. <laughs> Dr. Lewis is on ER. Um, so Dr. Mannheim is going for it, going for it, going for it. And it doesn't match like the performance of anybody else around him. Which usually is like a clue to some performers that maybe I need to tone it down. But maybe there was no notes from the directors like, yeah, you're doing great. Perfect. It was it's a performance that almost made me consider, should we be calling this the Mannheim? Ooh. (laughs) Ooh. We don't have to make a decision now, but I just listen. Yeah, I think we can think about it. Definitely check it out. It's some quite a sight to behold. Uh, what part of this episode will they teach at Starfleet Academy? I guess Dr. Mannheim's theories and what a fucking weirdo he is. Yeah, uh, I guess the Mannheim effect, the space fart. Um, mm-hmm. But it's so weird because he's saying that he's created a portal to other dimensions and he's kind of describing it as like there's life there and it's something we can't imagine. But it's also playing with time and time loops. But it's like, is this... You know, Star Trek The Next Generation will go on to play with other dimensions. Worf literally hops dimensions in parallels where he's, you know, changing alternate realities. Isn't that what dimensions kind of are, too? Mm-hmm. Um, and then Voyager has fluidic space. Species 8472 is from another dimension where space is liquid. You know, it's just like there's other elements in there. And the lack of specifics in this episode between the energy and and what he's talking about and the barriers, it's all kind of frustrating. So maybe they'll just teach that Mannheim was a crank who had like half a good idea, and this one experiment was kind of and almost destroyed the universe or something. Yes, <laughs> he's like a like a. And no, we shitty... didn't arrest him for some reason. I don't know. He's still out there. <laughs> he's like shitty Oppenheimer is basically. What happened. <laughs> 
Um, uh, but also, I think they're teaching the cadets about like holodeck courtesy or, you oh. know what I mean? They're like holodeck uh, existence. Uh, this episode kind of affirmed my theory that at least you could make an argument that holodecks were designed by Starfleet scientists to prevent space badness. And so like yeah. general population, people who live on planets have normal lives, not in Starfleet, not doing long space voyages, that it's all kind of new to them. And like the technology expanding galactically, it wasn't instantaneous. Um, yeah. So it wasn't like everyone has a holodeck at home. Yes, exactly. Okay. Because the way that she reacts to it and everyone in the first season is just amazed by the holodeck. It just seems like they'd be teaching the cadets like, okay, here's a holodeck. Here's how you use it. Don't be an asshole. Uh, try not to get your jizz everywhere. That kind of stuff. <laughs> uh, Lower decks makes it very clear that you have to clean up the grime. <laughs> yeah. Those fluids. Stay. Yeah. They got to go somewhere. Yep. <laughs> And then uh, credit I'm to you. don't have like a cleaning the holodeck thing. Like, you know how like clean public toilets, like just like a spray thing just comes and like sprays the whole thing down. Well, I mean, lower decks didn't have to give in the classism, but it really does seem like they're like, no, you're, you got to earn your place. Here. Yeah. <laughs> you start with the grunt work. <laughs> uh, credit to you for seeing this spotting this right away and saying we needed to change this so next question what part of this episode is picard embellishing or omitting from his memoirs we're bringing it back from yeah. picard season three great idea what do you have i think he's probably um omitting or finessing a bit the story about how he stood up a hot woman because he was afraid <laughs> I think he, it would be the, the afraid part that he, because yeah. I think he would recognize I have to show in my youth, this is all part of a chapter of me being impetuous and unsettled that I think he would own up like he does in this episode about like, yeah, I did that. No, no question. Uh, my reasons were terrible, whatever they were. And you're right. I don't think he'd say like, I was afraid, but I think mm -hmm. her point is more valid. It was like, you would have been bored if we were together. You wanted to yeah. be an adventurer. And I think that that was definitely true. And I that, that was another reason why I liked the scene. He's like, am I that transparent? And she's like, you are to me, which that's the hokey line. But that's still mm -hmm. like a good. I'm fine when characters run into characters. That's real to me. But there are people that you interact with in your life that either see you in a way that no one else does, but it is so clear or they see a part of you that no one else has seen before. And they mm -hmm. just know you from this specific way. That all felt true. Um, too bad that doesn't get paid off. He doesn't know anything about her. He doesn't seem nope. to care. Nope. <laughs> Do you nope. think he will? Do you have any children? Oh, I don't know. Or do no. they all die back there on the planet? No. We'll never yeah. know. Never going to inquire about that. <laughs> uh, do you think he'll embellish any of that? Like about what he found interesting in her about her or anything like that? Uh, it's hard to say because he seems so in interested in her life. So <laughs> very I, I, me, me, I stood you up. What does this mean <laughs> for me as the captain of the Starship Enterprise? All right, here we go. Trek, marry or kill will always have Paris. I really don't like this episode. I'm sorry to say. Um... Who are you apologizing to? Oh, the, the super fans who love every episode exactly the same. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> 
Uh, I'm also giving it a soft I, kill, or I'm standing I, it up. If that I'm means gonna, it dies, yeah, I'm ghosting it. I'm I'm ghosting <laughs> this episode. Yeah, I'm I'm killing this episode. Um, it's like a half baked idea. Yeah, it it really needed at least one more draft to tie the the science Jeopardy and the emotional and stuff together. Not care like we don't have the character development enough for, to make it that interesting. So, right. Like that scene in the observation lounge between them, like you said, it needed a payoff in the holodeck or something that mm-hmm. some truth came of it. Um, could you imagine if they did this episode again today, though? If, like this was like an arc in Strange New Worlds and like the week before a character had died, like half this episode would have been about <laughs> Tashiar died and now we need to. Oh, it reminded me of the people I've left. You know what I mean? Like it would have uh-huh. some sort of weird connection to that. I kind of like the clean... Yard. Oh, she's dead. She's dead. Can't send her. Now, apparently she's in a shot like her arm is because oh. they shot it out of order or something. And because Worf is now at the tactical station, but her arm appears briefly in this episode, even though she died the week before. Um, but yeah, we'll always have Paris. You know what? I'm I'm grateful that I, I really do suspect this will be the last time I encounter or say that phrase until I watch Casablanca again in the future. But uh-huh. it's, I'm so sick of it. <laughs> the fact <laughs> there is a movie in the nineties called forget Paris starring Billy Crystal. And I believe Deborah Winger. It's pretty good. Yeah. It's the one where he plays an NBA ref. Uh-huh. And that is that movie in the nineties. We were like, we are sick of Paris. Yeah. <laughs> Get it out of the pop culture. It's annoying. So here we go. Uh, we have killed We'll always have Paris, the phrase, the concept, and certainly the episode of Star Trek Next Generation. Next week, we'll be returning to the original series to ask the question, what is brain? As Kristen and I look at the classic question mark episode Spock's brain. Have you ever seen Spock's brain before? (laughs) I'm sure I have. I'm very excited. After our last original series episode... I'm, I'm thirsty for more. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars there or right in your Spotify app, wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, we'd appreciate it. You can also follow us online on Twitter and Instagram at TrekMaryKPod. And we have a website, TrekMaryKillPod.com, which has all our links and standings of everything we've rated so far, including this one, which, again, we killed it. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> so until next week, TMK out. Bye.